I literally cold called this guy from a list of names on Google. I said, hey, I'm gonna be completely honest with you here. This is a cold call. If you want, you can hang up now or you can give me 30 seconds and you can decide. At the end, I booked a Zoom call. Then I had to scramble to create a pitch deck and he's like, yeah, let's do it. He paid on call. I sent I sent him the invoice on call and the contract, which I got off like chat GPT. It, 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 was, uh, it was a great feeling. That was the, oh shit, like this is a real model. Before we start this podcast, I have a small favor to ask you. If you have ever enjoyed one of these episodes, please hit the follow button if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or if you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button down below. It helps more than you can imagine build my dream of getting this show onto the top charts and changing entrepreneurs' lives. Thank you very much, and enjoy this episode. All aboard the MBIT Podcast with Seamus Madan. I want to begin this episode a little bit differently than most. We were talking a little bit earlier about your journey in entrepreneurship. What was the first experience or earliest experience in entrepreneurship that you can remember? Um, I think it was, it definitely goes back to like middle school when I was selling iPhones, like used iPhones. Back then it was the 3GS and the iPhone 4 in order to purchase my first set of Beats by Dr. Dre headphones. What did you do to start acquiring the iPhones? Did you go on eBay or what was that process? I would take them from relatives. So my my parents' old phones, my cousin's old phones, my uncle, my aunt. And then I would go ahead and list it on eBay with a bunch of photos, sell it. I made a PayPal back then illegally because <laughs> I was 12 years old. Don't worry, I've done the same. <laughs> and then... Yeah, just kind of snowballed from there into a bunch of different random things throughout middle school, high school. Ultimately, towards high school, I wanted to buy my own car and I was obsessed with playing Counter-Strike. So I, you know, built up my inventory of knives and skins in CSGO and would trade, like trade skins, not stocks to be specific. And then yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And what were some of the other things that it snowballed into? And then before that, how much money did you make buying and selling phones on eBay? Not that much, to be honest. I think I stopped after I sold like six phones and I made about, it, it was less than $1,000. But at 12 years old, like 800 something dollars, all I wanted to buy was Beats, right? So that was enough for me. Then through CSGO, the skins inventory, by the time that I cashed out and sold all my skins and converted it to like actual US dollar, I netted about like $2,400 from it, which was also a lot at the time. And then after that, I used those funds to start buying and selling clothes and flipping them on Grailed. I started doing that with the sole intention of being able to buy my own car because I'm obsessed with cars. And so by the time it, I turned 17, I had saved up around $15,000 from buying and selling clothes on Grailed, like Supreme and Palace and like Margiela. And I bought my first car cash. It was a 2012 Infiniti G37. Yeah, I, I kind of stepped away from the entrepreneurship space for a little bit because then I went to college. And like, I feel like every single time I would enter the entrepreneurship space, 
it would to be it would be for the sole purpose of like getting something yeah. essentially like okay i need i want this how am i going to get this i'm going to sell these things or i'm going to do this so that i can buy it and that's sort of how it went as you look forward to the next 10 20 years uh you're an entrepreneur now you do you have done multiple six figures in revenue um with your businesses that we'll talk about later what is the goal that you're aiming to achieve that's a really good question i think ultimately i haven't actually outlined like a 10-year goal yet which is not good but as far as a five-year goal for the time being and specifically what i'm doing right now i want to build and sell my current agency we'll first build and scale to a multiple six-figure run rate monthly revenue wise and then exit that and then potentially either consult with other agencies become a coach or consultant for other agency owners potentially but i haven't really thought that far into the future kind of really focused on just scaling what i have in front of me at the moment while you were in college you were a real estate marketing intern for berkshire hathaway to getting leads for a real estate tech startup and then you later worked at Arup, the water bottle company. I did, yeah. um, were you always interested in business development or how did that interest for sales and whatnot really start up? I, I, I think I only had one formal internship and that was at a wealth management fund during COVID too. So it was online. So I can't even count it as a real like quote unquote corporate internship where you go into the office every day you grind until like midnight and then you get a return offer after, right? But I don't know, I never liked doing that mostly because if I'm gonna be completely honest, I felt that the whole process of, of actually going about acquiring that, uh, networking on LinkedIn, going to the in-person uh, seminars in college, and I, I've, I'm fully aware like that that's how you have to go about and get these jobs. But it felt very disingenuine to me. And I couldn't bring myself to do it, just to be quite frank. And also, I knew for a fact that even if I was in those roles, you know, if I took an IB internship or a consulting internship, I'm not sure I would last because I simply don't want to work until like midnight for unless it's on my own terms. So it, it was certainly an element of me being very stubborn, but ultimately my interests and what I ended up pursuing uh, internship wise in college were I always wanted to work at different startups to see what the opportunities there were, what I would be able to learn over that kind of duration um, and that experience would be a more useful and be more fulfilling and actually like moves the needle forward within the business uh, of what I'm doing uh, versus being a, um, I don't know, asset management intern, you know, or making slide decks every single day until 1 a.m. So yeah, I, I, I don't hate corporate world. I don't hate anyone who goes into that uh, realm. I, I frankly respect it quite a bit because I personally don't think I'd be able to hack it. What do you think networking to you in the corporate world, trying to get jobs and stuff, why did that feel disingenuous? And I know it's like a, it's like a cycle, but 
it's you have to put on a persona and talk about why you want to work here and at this specific company so badly. But every, everyone knows you're lying through your teeth. Like no 19 year old kid is like, yeah, I want to work at PwC because their core values really speak to what I as a human being feel truly strongly about. I really, really, really want to build PowerPoint presentations for you every single day for 12 hours a day. This would be my absolute dream. So because of that, I, I personally, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I can't do that. Like, it, it doesn't feel right. Is there a way to make it more genuine or you think that's just the culture of... Yeah, 100%. I think if you know the specific role you want to go into and you know the specific day-to-day, which is really hard to, to know until you actually talk to someone or you kind of do it, then, then it's a little bit different because then at that point you're like, yeah, like this is actually something I want to try out. Um, and this is something that I want to do. But for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? There was no position I, I really saw out there that I was like, this is, excites me quite a bit. Besides working at a startup, actually being in the nitty gritty, wearing multiple hats, having a different role um, every single week um, and actually doing things that push the needle forward. Right. So I think the biggest thing for me as well within these smaller startups that I worked at was actually doing work that I would be able to see come to fruition in moving the needle forward for the business itself. So I think that was also a big thing for me as well, now that I look back at it. And after you quit your business development job for Arup in December of 2022, you later founded a company called Alpine Media a few months later in August. Why did you initially quit your job? Was it because you wanted to get out of the corporate world or what were you thinking? No, of so actually, to be honest, I was working part-time at Arup for almost two years. And it was coming time for me to either move into a full-time role there or get a new job. And at the time as well, I was I had just moved to LA and I... Uh, started my agency um, thanks to Iman Gaji, but we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. <laughs> um, but in short, I started the agency. I signed my first client in 21 days and I was still working at AirUp and taking sales calls and doing both at the same time for about a month and a half. So when I was starting the agency, I was, I was cold calling. I was cold calling prospects on Google um, and you know pitching them on the phone. I had a whole cold call script and everything. And the end of November was the time for me to make a decision, right? On whether or not I was going to continue and, and pursue a full-time role in AirUp for whatever was available. I was very close to my boss. He's the managing director at AirUp uh, for the US side. His name is Christian. We're still very close. I still see him and I still talk to him like every couple of months or so. But there was no role available there. It was like, I remember it was like, it was a couple HR positions and potentially like um like an accounting role, which I don't believe I was qualified for. So I didn't really fit in anywhere. And I didn't want to force myself to do the HR position because it was like also not in my character. It would feel disingenuous because I have to amp people up and be like in the meetings. Yeah. I got to be <laughs> like, welcome to the team. <laughs> so what ended up happening was I, I quit. Um, my parents wanted me to actually start interviewing for full-time roles. So I was interviewing at the time for 
place is local to me. Just asset management roles, different business development roles that I could find. And I found a company called Critical Point Partners in Manhattan Beach. And I went through all the stages of the interview kind of as a, like going through the motions for my parents, right? I didn't want to do it truly, or I wanted to keep it as like a safety net. They offered me a full-time position. I forgot what it's called, BDR, some, some sort of role like that. And December is when I like formally declined it because I was like, I think the, what, because the, the role that they offered wouldn't allow me to run the agency at the same time because of how intensive it was. Be in the office by 5 a.m., out of the office by like four or five o'clock. And then I feel like I would just be tired after that. Also, you can't take calls like that late in the day, especially on the West Coast. Everyone on the rest of the country is already evening. It'd be literally impossible to do any sort of sales calls, any sort of cold calls at that time after work, even if I wanted to. So it came to a point where I was like, yeah, I have to choose between this job or the agency. And I chose to move forward with the agency because I was like, I think this is something I proved that I can go and get a job if I want, right? And this is something that I would regret if I didn't pursue and see through and see what I can take it to. So that's what I'm going to do. And that's what I did. How did your parents react to taking that step? At first they were like, kind of like, dude, just take the job, right? They're like, just take the job. Are you are you stupid? <laughs> you can do both at the same time. And I was like, I can't do both at the same time. This is why. But ultimately, as always, I'm really stubborn and they know they, they can't um, change my mind. So they were just like, in short, um, I wagered actually, if I can't get this to be self-sustaining within six months, I would sell my car, right? Because, and I told my dad this and he's, he's still like, I give it a year. You're going to come back. You're going to go get a job. Right. But you know, just have fun, like go, go, go experiment with this and, and we'll see what, what you can make. Right. And so I still don't think I've really proven anything or built anything of sub of substance or anything substantial yet. But I think over the last year I have acquired the skills too, and I've acquired a lot more skills and insight and have for once a pretty clear path on how I'm going to, to scale it. We've been talking about the agency business for a little bit now. Mm -hmm. um, what What is the business and what inspired you to create it? So the agency model is interesting. I'm specifically on the, like, I run a lead generation agency for right now for contractors. And I'll keep it at that. I don't want to get funnel hacked. But in short, what we do is match. I work with home services contractors and we match contractors with homeowners that want services installed. We match them, they get jobs in exchange, they pay me money. Fundamentally, that's that's all that is, right? And the agency model is cool because it's very lean, it doesn't really require much startup cost. You can bootstrap your progress by running ads and stuff if you know how to do that. But when I was first starting out, I didn't know how to do that. What got me started on, in it was Iman Gaji getting sold the dream and uh the first i'm sure every agency owner has a similar story these days especially of buying iman's course agency navigator that's what it was called at the time now it's called educate paying iman 1500 bucks you know going through the modules the mindset module you know how he loves to talk about contractor arbitrage 
hiring a media buyer from Fiverr to run ads for a local business. And this doesn't really work. There's, there's a lot more to it. But in short, that's how I got started and interested in the model. And I think because I had cold calling experience from the internships that I worked at, especially like the real estate one freshman year, I was, I was cold calling like a hundred dollars a day. So when I first started the agency, it wasn't hard for me to get appointments or sales appointments at all because I wasn't afraid to call and I wasn't afraid to dial and I already knew how to dial. So I just had to create a script that kind of took people's guards down and allow them to hear me out for 60 seconds. And I was able to book a lot of sales appointments and that's how I was able to sign my first client in 21 days. And so the first agency, I worked with automotive detailers because I really like cars and I thought that there was a need. So I worked with detailers, restyling shops, window tent shops, and I would bring them people who wanted their cars service detailed and all that. So I would sell them on $1,500 monthly retainers plus $1,000 ad spend per month and hope and pray that they would get enough cars into their shops to cover that and profit and potentially get like a three to four X return on ad spend, right? At the very least. What you find out really quickly is you're gonna have an insane amount of churn. Your service delivery is gonna be super, super mixed because even if you can generate the leads, a lot of these guys can't sell. And I know that's what a lot of people say, but the biggest thing is that a lot of these guys buy from you for the wrong reason. They're not really having a lead flow or a throughput issue. They have a sales process issue, right? They're not able to convert people who, who, who dial them. So you learn a lot of that, but, and, and you, you encounter some like morally and ethically gray situations where I'm sure like you have guys paying you and you're not getting them results, right? And, and that's the nature of running a lead generation agency. You're not going to be able to satisfy 100% of your clients. What were those morally, ethically gray areas? It's like selling people when you know that their actual problem isn't the amount of leads that they're getting. Selling them on a lead service, essentially, fully knowing that, okay, these guys mostly probably have a sales process issue. So I'm going to do sales coaching with them. They're still going to complain. And because ultimately, what I also figured out very quickly as well is I, I can't just take everyone's credit card, right? There's, it becomes too much of a headache down the line where they're complaining that the leads are bad or complaining that they're not getting enough jobs. And I fully knew this when I signed them on, right? And I still chose to go ahead and do it anyway, right? So it's like decisions like that, that take doing them to actually learn from and saying no to the fast money and actually having a more peaceful life down the road because of it. So how much did that business when you started it or finished it up doing like net revenue? And then what was the churn on that? I would churn through a client. My average client average LTV was no more than three grand average, which is terrible. So they would stay for two months, the tops. It didn't gross that much revenue. I think a little over a hundred thousand in the last like 10 months. So I was averaging like 10K a month from it, which is not that much. And the biggest problem was like, it was just me doing everything. So because that, because I was selling people on such low monthly retainers and I was churning and burning 
and I was selling so many clients a month and losing so many clients a month and trying to do the service delivery and trying to do the client success. What ended up happening is I couldn't really hire any good talent. I couldn't outsource any good talent. I couldn't hire a closer. No one wants to close on a $1,500 offer. And then I also couldn't hire like client success reps. I couldn't hire good media buyers, right? I couldn't hire good appointment setters to kind of start to fire myself from positions within the business that are, I guess, take the most time and would produce the highest ROI if you were to, if you were to go about hiring those roles out. How do you know when entrepreneurs should consider outsourcing parts of the business and not keep it all under control themselves? I mean, it depends on the entrepreneur, right? If their intention is to scale, then it should be as soon as they don't have the enough time in their day to do all the roles that they need to, to fulfill A to Z their business model. But like, let's say I, I know a lot of solopreneurs that just run the agency model. They do the, they do what I did. They like run up clients, they churn. Maybe they're in a little bit of a higher ticket industry. Solo guys grossing like 20, 30 K a month. And I mean, that's decent money. You know, that's very comfortable living for a lot of them. And, and they don't have to go through the headache of actually trying to go and hire, manage a team. And if they can just sell, if they can just do the service delivery, if they can do the appointment setting and they run some ads and they're still netting 20, 30 Gs a month, a lot of them are really comfortable with that, right? But I also feel like it's not, that's a very odd thing to see in entrepreneurship because, you know, the whole point is they did their own thing because they are always pushing for more. So, I mean, you built the agency model with industries that nobody really focuses on, right? I mean, digital yeah. marketing is big now, but you swung the exact opposite direction. And now you're helping pool builders find homeowners who don't already have bids on the job to install pools. Cars, you said you liked, but why pools? Why these obscure industries? Yeah, it's really random. But I realized that if I were to continue to sell to who I want to sell to and work in a comfortable industry that I'm familiar with, because there was no learning curve for me to get into the detailing space or the tin shop space, because I mean, I, I, I do that with my car right now. So I speak their language. I know the lingo. I know the brands and everything. So it was zero barrier to entry in actually learning the industry and learning their problems. The way that I got into contractors is I got really tired of working and turning and burning. It's just, it, it burns you out. It's exhausting for such a little amount of revenue too, right? And then I got referred to at the time, one of my good clients uh, was a, a rap shop in Florida. I actually still have him as a client. He just passively uh, run ads for him. And he asked me if I can run ads for a close friend of his um, who was a pool builder. And I was like, I have no clue, but I can try. Uh, I'm not opposed. And so I had a call with him. He essentially gave me, I, I ran a free trial for him. Of course, I didn't charge him anything for like service fee. But what was cool is that he just kind of gave me unlimited spending power on the ads manager to go and test things. He's like, you could spend $50 a day. You could spend $200 a day. I don't really care. If you can, fig if you can crack this, then life's going to be good. So ran different ads for him, sort of same creative copy style as I would run like in the auto industry, just ultimately you're generating leads, right? It's lead gen, it's not that hard. I was able to crack it in like a week and started generating him like three to five appointments, in-home appointments per week to a point where I was like, damn, this, these 
jobs are like very much higher ticket. He started closing a couple jobs, like custom gunite pools, $100,000 ticket, $120,000 ticket. I was like, damn, I need to change my industry if I'm able to do lead gen for swimming pools and, and homeowners. And this goes for all home services in general, I think. It's really easy to target the homeowner. And, and so if you are an agency for roofing, for kitchen remodeling, for bath remodeling, for pools, for landscaping, hardscaping, basement remodeling, the service delivery is the same because you're targeting the same client avatar. So that's when I, when I decided to pivot to pools full-time was after I moved back from LA. So a lot of personal things happened like in the middle of the year. And essentially I was in like a rut from probably July to September. And I moved back home end of September and it was like a, it was like a fresh start kind of thing. And I was like, screw this agency. I'm going to bootstrap. I'm going to run ads. I'm going to run this offer. And then I'm going to see if the market reacts to it. And I'm going to see how far I can scale. What happened that caused that rut? I went to, so like in the earlier in the year, like I March, April time, I went through a breakup and then the next month I got into a car accident. And then the following month, um, I got robbed in Greece. Oh man. And that's where the scar is still from. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I got, I got robbed in Greece and I think that was the biggest kind of pivot in mindset because it induced a large amount of self-reflection over the next few months on, you know, what I was doing, why I was doing this. What's the point of all this? Who am I trying to impress? What am I trying to prove? Because I realized that a lot of what I was doing at the time leading up to that was purely out of ego, right? And this kind of goes back to like even in college, right? Those career fairs. Like I think a part of me as well didn't want to go and sell my soul, quote unquote, or be fake or, or and disingenuine and act like I'm super interested in these companies or in these roles because a part of me felt that I was better than that, right? So pure ego. And after that happened, obviously I was just grateful that I was alive, right? Because I, I, got, I got knocked out, my, my, I fell on my face uh, and then I fell off a scooter too and I just ended up in the hospital in, in Rhodes, Greece. But that's a totally different story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but after that, it, it was just like, I ended up in a rut for like two, two, three months, just kind of thinking about like, what, what the hell am I doing with my life? Why am I even in LA? And I was just doing degenerate stuff, like going out every single weekend, in like Koreatown. And like, even before that, like leading up to Greece, I was traveling a lot, like literally spending all my money on traveling, on going out on my car like literally zero zero savings zero dollars what your business generates in revenue now uh we're on month two so uh this this month one was okay just me solo we did 40k month one and then this month uh focused on hiring so i have an appointment killer appointment setter and a really good closer he's australian um so I'm like ramping up that process now. It's been about, it's we're on our third week of kind of doing that. So we did take a bit of a revenue hit. I think we're this month probably only going to do like 30K. But since we have these processes in place, I have enough appointment flow for them to be closing 20 to 25 
clients per month. So hopefully by December, January time, able to ramp up to the six figure run rain mark, which I think is very feasible. What do you think was your first like, oh shit moment in your business? Because it can be very difficult depending on what you do. We can fail over and over and over again. And sometimes just one big step forward can completely propel uh, your mindset and energy to think like, wait, this could actually work. What was that for you? Oh shit, good moment was when I signed my first client over Zoom after a cold call. It was October 21st last year. I remember it clear as day. I was like, holy shit, Stripe, <laughs> that Stripe payment clear is the best feeling ever. I literally cold called this guy from a list of names on Google. I said, is this ST6 detailers? I'm gonna air him out. I still talk to him, to my first client, he's awesome. Um, I, hey, I'm going to be completely honest with you here. This is a cold call. If you want, you can hang up now or you can give me 30 seconds and you can decide. All right. That was my script back then. And, and he heard me out. I was like, I, I forgot what my, my pitch was, my spiel. It was, it was like a 30 second going into building client acquisition systems for detailers. And at the end, I booked a Zoom call. Then I had to scramble to create a pitch deck. And then I pitched him the pitch deck on the Zoom call. He was like, he's like, yeah, let's do it. He paid on call. I sent I sent him the invoice on call and the contract, which I got off like ChatGPT, which I had ChatGPT write. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was a great feeling. That was the oh shit, like this is a real model. This isn't just online, like some internet scam. Little did I know, like I was getting myself into a whole world of disaster. But yeah, what was the disaster that you think was in there? Too many clients, too many client fires. You have business owners like hitting your phone like i'm not getting these results i want to refund your shit at what you do like you'll get messages like that right or you know in prospecting or having a sales call you'll get people who are not like fully there and they will curse you out they'll say you're a, a fraud a scammer and those things were new to me right but i mean it just kind of makes you have thick skin did it change your mindset about maybe how to approach the business or anything or no, it, um, it was just like, because I would talk to like a few of my agency owner friends after those types of experiences and just be like, damn, this just happened to me. And they'd be like, yeah, you got to get used to it. You know, that's, it's the game. It's get anything you do. You're going to get hate. Um, you're going to get people yelling at you and shouldn't happen often, hopefully, but it's inevitable. And then what about your uh oh shit bad moment what was that one for you and how did that change your perspective um piffing a guy and then not being able not delivering good results within the first like three months so piff paid in full what i was doing a lot which i should have done more of honestly was i would incentivize them to pay for three months up front right by saying hey it's 1500 bucks a month or if you want to commit to three months now it'll be four grand flat and in three months you should see like a 3x roi and doing that for a few people and not delivering and then there's like i'll just work for free until we can get you these results right and yeah that was a big oh shit moment because i was like I realized I can't control their sales process. And then there was also the moment that I realized it's really naive for me to think that I can deliver for every single person with really, really personalized service, sales training and everything like that. And then also scale to 20, 30 plus clients and do that all by myself. 
Yeah, you can't. The reality is you can't. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, especially when generating leads, will send cold emails, put out ads, and try out a ton of different lead generation options. And sometimes it just doesn't work. How did you go about the process of learning how to have lead generation done the right way and execute on it? I had some courses, but quite frankly, they didn't really teach because local business lead gen is really specific to, you know, each niche, right? So you don't, you never know what creatives and copy combo or offer and creative combo will work for that specific industry. And there's no course that can teach you something that is specific enough. It has to be generalized because they can't go too into specifics and encompass every single industry. So it was more so a process of learning by doing. I um, have like video editing experience. Like, so I would just, a lot of the creators that I would want run and, and actually what helped me differentiate quite a bit was the fact that I was able to make TikTok style creatives where I would literally just pull videos on TikTok of B-roll footage of people ceramic coating a car or tending a car or having the finished product. I'd piece them all together in Final Cut Pro, add cool transitions, add some words on the screen, and I'd run it as a creative. And some of those videos generated like tens of thousands of dollars in revenue hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. Your goal is to approach 100K a month in revenue with your current lead generation agency. What do you think about going from where you are now to reach that milestone? What's that process going to be like? I think it's pretty clear. I think this was outlined to me because I was at an agency event last week. And essentially, it's just this, the sales process, the marketing on the front end, and then the sales process. So I have service delivery for this industry kind of dialed honestly i have a media buyer i have a couple of vas handling metrics and then i have like client support channel and i i meet i still meet with them every couple of weeks but i'm starting to actually bring in my friends who work full-time jobs to take on client support calls like part-time so i'm bringing them on calls i'm having each of them do maybe like five calls a week um so i would bring them on with me and I'm soon going to be hiring and training someone to for specifically for like client onboardings or what we will call like client success workshops. And so the back end actually is fairly dialed. The only bottleneck right now, we have enough lead flow to be closing 20 to 30 uh, clients per month. So the only bottleneck is our sales process. And that wasn't fully dialed because... I, it was made really apparent to me that I was selling like a founder. So when I brought on a couple of closers and they tried to replicate my sales process, they weren't succeeding. And I was trying to figure out like, why are they bad closers? They're not bad closers. I had a bad process. So sort of revamping that now. And I mean, I have even like trainings with them like later today and, and tomorrow to refine that sales process. But I think after that's dialed and I have two closers in place, or I'm going to continue to take, take sales calls alongside my closers just to stay sharp and, and have a hand in it as well for the time being, then yeah, it's, it's a very easy, easy run. Like we have the capacity to take that on right now. So it's, um, it's just going to come down to the sales. And before we wrap it up here, there's two questions I want to end with. One is what is the best advice you've ever received? Don't innovate. Um, ironically, 
specific this 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 is not like good advice generally for an entrepreneur right but for my industry in, in particular right i'm doing lead generation marketing agency for contractors you're not steve jobs you know i'm not inventing an iphone don't try to innovate keep it simple and generate the leads you don't need to be doing anything fancy ai like ultimately at the end of the day is that actually going to contribute to helping them get what they want which is they don't care the means of what of what you're doing they don't care if you're using ai to generate appointments they don't care if you're using facebook ads to generate appointments if you're generating appointments and you're closing them contracts that's all they care about so stop trying to be steve jobs you're not steve jobs we run lead generation marketing agencies we're not innovative we're not changing the world right we're helping local businesses which is great but there's a pretty clear cut proven method of doing so and if you want to scale and you want to be and if you're not where you want to be which i personally am not then focus on the inputs that will actually push the needle forward and stop trying to be steve jobs where do you want to be completely removed from the process with employees in place so that my main focus will be building out just kind of content and the brand for the company but are you talking about like revenue wise uh yeah sure yeah i think it's very feasible with a full team and like three or five hundred k a month like which is still barely a business right you're you're netting like low few million a year but i think that would be cool to be able to build that and then figure out where i want to go from there and to wrap it up here for our last question if i handed you a phone and you could call your 18 year old self would you call and if so what would you tell him um i don't think i would call i think that everything that i went through and everything that happened was for a reason and every experience good or bad served to help me learn something to become better so i guess the only thing that i if i were to call to tell him is pipe down your ego <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you very much for taking the time to join the show we'll have a link to acquisition in the episode description i doubt anyone's pool builders but if they are they can check it out but thanks for taking the time i appreciate it thank you for having me i appreciate it man